Hey there. Welcome to Faith for Today broadcast. I'm Donnie Spano. And together we're looking at perfect today. And uh, this aspect of perfect is uh, what's enabling us to be more useful for the kingdom of God. You and I have a choice today. Will we enter in and allow God to perfect us? And there's things that He would have us step into today that we will not be flawless to step into it. And this is why many have not gone and done some of the things the Spirit of God has put in their heart to do because they're thinking, I need to improve. I need to be better until I get in. And the perfecting process is when we step into it. And as we enter in, there are things. Now, I'm not talking about just doing things, but doing the things that God shows us. And as we step into it, we may feel very inadequate. We may feel like we don't have what's required. But as we step in, we put ourselves in a place that God, it's conducive to Him perfecting and molding and building us up and making us more useful for the kingdom, for what He would do in this earth. Now let's go together and let's look at some verses along these lines. Let's go to Philippians. And we're going to go to Philippians the second, I'm sorry, the third chapter, verses 12 through 15. Philippians 3, 12 through 15. And uh, here we find Paul touching on this very aspect of perfection. And he'll uh, make clear by the Spirit of God what we just touched on. And he said, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. So he's saying, I'm not flawless. I'm not without need of improvement. Something that's important. Well, let me... Yes, sir. You and I will be faced with opportunities to adjust. But at the time, there will be an excuse right there. And you and I can't make an adjustment and an excuse we're going to do one or the other so if we're willing to adjust we're going to refuse to give an excuse say la this is important because if we continue to make excuses we'll continue to refuse to make the adjustments and god himself cannot overpower us he will not overtake us and make us make the adjustment. We will have to yield ourselves for Him to have that place. And so here, Paul had said, he said, Not as though I were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And he continues in the 15th verse and he says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. So he's talking about having the mindset of perfection. You and I ought to be able to look in the mirror on a daily basis and say, you are perfect 
you are the you are the kind of person that God's going to use. You're useful to him. You're perfect before God. Jesus said, "Be you therefore perfect even as your Father in heaven which is in which is perfect." Now that seems like a high thought, too high of a thought for people like us. But we have to if we're going to humble ourselves, then whether we understand it or not, we're going to choose to say, "God, the Lord Jesus, they are right, they are true, those words are truth, even if I don't understand it. That is humbling myself. And so he continues and says, Let us therefore as many as be perfect, be of this mindset, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. Thank you, Lord. And um, now let's look together. Go with me to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Thank you, Lord. And here we find what we were just talking about, about yielding ourselves to God, how He will not make us be perfect and be perfected. And it says here in the first verse, I beseech you, now this is like a pleading, an urging, that you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You and me, we need to present it if it will be presented. And it goes on and says, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. Again, those that are perfect be thus minded here by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, we're told in the scriptures that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The mind is much more than intellection. It's much more than reasoning. The mind, thank you, Father, is much more than the workings of the brain. It goes out beyond it. And as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You and I have a thought life that is meditational, it is inner-minded, minded, and it is an inner conscious. And it is an area that we live. And it can be good, and it can be a rough place to live, depending on what we think on, depending on how we're minded. And it is what we become. As we think inside of ourselves, we become that very thing. So is he, the scriptures say, the man that thinks that way in his heart. And so here we find that we may prove by what? By the renewing of this mind we may prove what is that good and acceptable and what? And perfect will of God. Now, this is not an elaborate way to say the perfect will of God. This is actually different things, three different ways. 
there is an acceptable way. There is a good way. There is a perfect way. It is, it has been more common that believers have gone away and expected God to bless it. They've gone their way. They have done what they've wanted to do and expected God to bless it. God cannot just bless any plan and any way. And so it's important that you and I find out what is His perfect will. What is His perfect plan? Because why? Because God will allow us to go away that we want. And if we want it bad enough, He'll allow us to go. He'll allow us to have that. He'll allow us to do that. You know, it was never God's plan for His people to have a judge. It was never God's plan for His people to have kings. It was never His plan. The people wanted it. He allowed it. This was an acceptable way. God accepted them going that way. He accepted them having a king. He did not plan it. It was not His perfect will. But His people wanted it. He allowed it. You and I, do not want God to just allow us to do things in this life. We want, I, I'm, I've seen it, I've experienced it, I'm trying to help you. We don't want to just uh, Him allow us to do some things. We want to find out what is His perfect plan. What is it that He would have us do? And then go out fully expecting, not even needing to even touch on it. If He tells you and I to go, that's the blessed plan. We don't have to seek Him diligently about whether He's going to bless that plan. He told us to do it. He will provide for it. You'll have more than enough time, more than enough energy, more than enough resources. You will not lack because you are faithful to the perfect will of God. And uh, Brother Hagen, Kenneth E. Hagen, been instrumental in our life, our ministry my life, my ministry. And uh, one of the things that the Lord allowed him to pastor for 10 to 12 years, he um, found out after the fact, he, the Lord told him, I never called you to pastor. What does that mean? That was not the perfect will of God. God is very, very merciful. And he started realizing what was his call. What was his ministry? And uh, thank you, Lord, for your helping. And uh, I don't speak any of this disrespectfully. The Lord told him, he said, you're going to enter into the first phase of your ministry. And he thought, what do you mean? I've been pastoring for over 10 years now. The first phase of my ministry. He said the Lord knew his thoughts. And said, many of my ministers never enter into the first phase of their ministry. What is he saying? Now this is, you can believe it or not for yourself. Check your own heart about it. I believe he had this conversation with the Lord Jesus. I do. I believe the Lord Jesus did say this. That many of his ministers have never entered into the first phase 
of their ministry. What does that mean? Many of his ministers have never found his perfect will. And that is alarming. That is something that I have in my life, I've sought out. I'm going to get it right. Not because of myself, because I trust him to get me perfect before him and to do his perfect will. Part of that perfect plan, he'll show you who to, who to marry. He'll show you who to be in fellowship with, who to be in ministry with. He'll show you who to do business with. He'll show you how to conduct your family, how to approach those relatives. He'll show every aspect of a perfect ministry before him, a perfect life of faith before him. But it doesn't just fall upon us. We must give ourselves to it. We must present ourselves before him. This is what makes the difference between an acceptable and a perfect way is whether we want His. And um, thank you, Father. Let's go to Ephesians 4, verse 11. And I'll tell you, we're going to go a few verses there. Ephesians 4. This is giving us light into... Uh, aspects of the church and of gifts that are given to the church which is the body of Christ and members individually and here let's look at where should we start Lord yes sir we'll start at 11 and we will go Yeah, we'll go up through, I believe, verse number 15. And it says in the 11th verse, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? He gave them for the perfecting of the saints. Is it important, believers, that we be perfected? According to God, yes, it is. So important that he gave us apostles and evangelists, right? And pastors and teachers and prophets. He gave the fivefold ministry gifts for the perfecting of us believers. That's how important it is to him that he gave us gifts for that perfecting process. And so he continues and says, for the work of the ministry. So if you and I aren't perfected, we won't do the work of the ministry. If we don't do the work of the ministry, we are not useful to God. That's a big statement. Do you want to be useful to God today? I do. I want, when God's looking at, okay, I need to do some things today, who can I use? And he's looking at his opportune vessels. I want to be there. At the top of his list, I want him to go, I can use him. I can, you want to be one there too. I, I sense it. If you don't see it and what it is enough, I pray that God enlighten the eyes of your understanding. The greatest thing we can have in this earth is to do things for God. Do things that he has ordained. These are things that are rewarded forever. They will never be forgotten. There's such a, 
long-standing reward to it that the very apostles of the Lamb, their names are etched into the very uh, foundations of heaven's Thank you, Father. The heavenly city, the New Jerusalem. There are integral parts of that thing because these men assign themselves to answer God's call and to follow Jesus and allow themselves to be perfected, to be discipled and built up. That didn't happen overnight. And... It continues and says, For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. If we want the body to grow up and grow strong, it's going to be in connection with us doing our part in the ministry, us being useful to God, us receiving the perfecting process through God's gifts. So if we are failing to enter into that church that He's been dealing with, if we're failing to hear from those ministers he's put in and amongst us, and we know inside ourselves, listen to that, go to that meeting, be there at that church, do this, and we refuse, then we aren't just refusing a church and refusing a minister. We are refusing God, and we're refusing his process. Because his process, obviously, is connected with other people other gifts, other positions in the body, other people He has called to be connected to us, to build us up, perfect us so that we can do good ministry in this earth. That's what these scriptures are telling us. Now here it continues, and it says in the 13th verse, till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Growing up is one of the foremost ways that we will keep ourselves from being deceived children are this is why we have to teach our kids you don't just go if someone offers you candy right why because they don't have the experience enough to know that there is darkness in this earth there are people that want to hurt that want to harm and just because they offer something good does not mean there's good in their heart. And we have to teach them and train them and build them up to let them know, don't just take candy because they offer you candy. You need to watch. Why? Because people have been taken in those circumstances. So we train them. Why? So that they're not deceived. They're not led astray and taken advantage of and hurt and harmed. And it says... In the 15th verse, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Thank you, Lord. And it goes on and talks about how we're joined together. Every joint supplies to one another according to that effectual working in the measure of every part. And that makes increase of the body to that edifying of itself in love. 
And this is the perfecting process that God has given parts to perfect that must be given place to. And when you and I submit and present ourselves to God, we present ourselves to God's people. And we give God, through His people, a place to perfect us. Thank you, Lord. And now let's go together. When we talk about being perfect, go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we'll read through verses 1 through 3. And then we'll pick up again at verse 6. So go with me to chapter 16 in 1 Samuel. Verses 1 through 3. We find that God has called us to be perfect as He is perfect. But we know very well that's not perfect in achievement. In fact, many of us can find as we go further with God that we will do things. And as we look back, we go, man, I could have done that better. I could have... I needed to improve that. And if I did it again, I would do it differently. And God would look at us in those moments and go, that was perfect before me. Why? Because he was looking at something more than the outward work that was done. He was looking more interior than that exterior work. Go, let me catch up with you. You may be there by now. And we're putting it on the screen for you. I'm so thankful we have that capability. But here in 1 Samuel, we see light into this, that God, His way in looking at things. And here in 1 Samuel 16, in the first verse it says, And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? So he's not glad that he's mourning for Saul. Yet Saul is king. And he goes on and says, Seeing I have, who has? God has. I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Paul, I'm sorry, Paul, Saul, Saul was God's best choice to be king. Saul was the go-to. But here we're finding that's no longer the case. He's no longer qualified. He has been rejected. And this is, you and I, that's why Paul was saying this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and I press toward this mark for the high prize and call of Christ Jesus. Because Saul was perfect. He was. But now he's not. And for time's sake, we, we won't go there, but there came a point in time where the battle was in array and that the nation's not winning and Saul is overseeing the nation and it's not his place to light incense before the Lord and he's waiting and waiting and the high priest isn't coming you know the prophet's not coming they're not coming to do their work so I guess I'll do it and he lights it and not soon after he's done here comes the man of God and the man of God is correcting him. You're not to do this. You're the king. You're not the man of God. He took it upon himself what was not his to do. And um, it displeased God. 
It was a lack of trust. And so you find ways that he no longer qualified as God's perfect. And he was rejected. We see that right here. So let's go back to the text. And it says, God is talking to Samuel. He's saying, don't mourn for him anymore. I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. And he tells him, fill your horn with oil. Now this was anointing oil for a new king. And he said, and go, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I'm come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint to me him whom I name to you. Now go with me to verse 6, and we'll go from there. We'll go through the, the text. It's about 23 verses. <clears throat> and it came to pass, here in the 6th verse, it came to pass when they were come that he, now this is Samuel, looked on Eliab. And he said, surely. Now this, he, Samuel's been around for a little while. He's got some experience. And he's looking on Eliab. And his response is, surely this is the guy. We found our choice. He's perfect. He's a perfect candidate. He's our perfect choice. That's what he's saying, isn't it? Read it for yourself. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said. Well, that's important, isn't it? But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't look, look not on his countenance. So the Lord knew what Samuel was looking at. He's looking at his countenance. Let's continue. He said, Don't look on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. We don't use these words. You know, these are not politically correct words. You won't hear a lot of grace. <laughs> you won't hear a lot of churches. I got nothing against grace. You won't hear a lot of churches that will talk about being rejected and being refused. But that's what God has done. He's rejected Saul and he's refused Eliab. They don't qualify. They're not the perfect choice. And um, we see light in this that God is showing us what Samuel was looking at. He said, don't look on his countenance. Don't look on his height. Saul himself was a tall man. He was shoulders above the rest. So one of the things that stood out about Saul was he was a tall man. And it was one of the things that stood out amongst him. But his heart was humble. And it had changed over the years. He was a man that did not run to call himself. He was actually hiding in the stuff when they were coming to get him. He's not that man anymore. And um, so now we see here that God is telling us that he refused Eliab. And let's continue. And it goes on and says, uh, For the Lord does not see. He sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord 
looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. So we see right here, when things are done, it's not been as important the exterior of the thing. Now God wants the most excellent and most highest standard of, of, standard of work to be done. But what's most important to Him is not the outside countenance. It's not what it is what is on the inside. It is the heart. Now let's continue. And he goes on and says, uh, Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this. So Samuel starting to look beyond what he was before, beyond the natural. Is it important as men and women of God that we continue to be willing to be adjusted? He had many years of experience in ministry and God is adjusting him in this time. He corrected him to start. He said, don't, don't be sorry for Saul anymore. He, I've rejected Saul. You need to stop. You need to fill your horn with oil. You need to go anoint the next king. So he had to repent. He had to be adjustable. And then he's here and he's looking at Eliab and God said, no, I refused him. Don't look on his height. Don't look on his countenance. I don't look on exterior. I look at the heart. And you find after that, he passes right over Shammah. Uh, he passes right over Abinadab. Ninth verse. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are here all your children? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. And behold, he keeps the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and with all of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. But notice, God had already said, I'm not looking on the countenance. So it wasn't just his countenance that qualified him. And I know we're getting close on time, but stick with me. We'll see some good things here. And he said, uh, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. So we know it wasn't his beautiful countenance that did it. But why is it telling us this? There's something about a perfect heart that makes you look good. You want to look better than you ever have. You want to keep looking good and maintain for your spouse? Keep a perfect heart before God. There was something... Je uh, thank you, Lord. David was chosen out of all these sons of Jesse. And when he was chosen, the, the scriptures make note, he was beautiful. He was the perfect hearted one, the chosen one, and the beautiful one. There's no set, they're not coincidental. You want to look good through your years? Have a perfect heart before God. He, it will qualify you to be chosen. It'll qualify him to move through you. God glorifies, and He can glorify flesh, this body. And it continues, and it says, uh, Then Samuel took the horn of oil 
and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Yes, sir. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. So we find here Saul is troubled, and for time's sake, he is going to inquire for someone to come that can play an instrument. And so when the evil spirit, when he's bothered, he's going to have this person play music, and it's going to lift his spirit and enable him to no longer be bothered. Guess who gets that position? You got a few more moments. I know we're, we're going over the time that I, I thought we'd go, but let's look at it. And it says, um, let me see here. 17th verse. And Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person. He looks good, and the Lord is with him. Wherefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son, which is with the sheep. <laughs> and you find, here he comes. Let's see uh, the 23rd verse. Thank you, Lord. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. It says in the 22nd verse, Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray you, stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. This perfect heart before God it puts us in the process where God can present opportunities that are beyond us and put us in positions that He can utilize to perfect us. Here He is helping in a place and position that He's to overtake just years later. This is beyond David that He's in this place and position to be perfected to be king. Hallelujah. God has the same perfecting process for us. And if you and I will keep the perfect heart and be willing and obedient and be quick to do what God wants of us to do, then we will find ourselves perfect before Him and we'll find ourselves in positions that only God can place us in and no man, no hindrance can keep us out because Jesus, the open door, makes the way and keeps us in perfect place for it. Hallelujah. That's all for this message, my friends. We love you. We bless you. We will see you soon.